Hello and welcome to the second hour of Barbarian in the Valley. Yes, what we hear know better as the Free Associates. That's right, people, the Free Associates. Free to associate with any idea that comes our way. Free to associate really with anyone. Free. That's right, freedom. And also just free to kind of well, free associate, you know? I look into the fire, I see some sparks, I see some burning wood, I see the face of a demon. I look out in the leaves, or I wake up in the middle of the night, I see something in the side of the room, I think it's an owl, could be an alien. I go to bed, I said I want to deal with it. Now, speaking of not dealing with stuff, speaking of a cold, cold, cruel world, there's just so much, just so much to be scared about out there. Oh yes, you can't hide. You just can't hide. Now, I don't know if you know this, but there's this guy. There's this guy in the Midwest. I can't remember where he is. He's on a farm. And he has totally, since the 2016 election, stopped any news media feed into his barn or wherever he's living. He's living in the middle of a cornfield. But even he can't hide. Folks, we're living in the age, what, what they call the season of the witch. That's right. And for our episode, it's relevant because today we're going to be talking about, huh, what are we going to be talking about? Happiness? What are we going to talk about? A world that presents as frightening, but for some people exciting and interesting and intriguing, a safe place? What one person on the left or right could feel as frightening, the person right over could say, this is the best time I've ever had. Like my kids when they do something dangerous and just want to do it again. So chew on that. And also, if you like, you can go to our website, barbarianinthevalley.com. If you've been naughty and you haven't done the reading yet, go there. It's a short reading. It's in the Washington Post. We'll only take you a couple minutes. In fact, I think that even just during this musical break, you could probably get the gist of it. So we are going to go out to some music. And when we come back, guess what? Guess who's back? Oh, the whale dog. Yep, the whale dog is back, and the van is back. It's on campus. Now, I will say this. We are pre-recording this, so uh, alas, no phone calls today. But um, please read it and enjoy, and we will be back in just a minute. to our second hour to the Free Associates. It's so good to have you. It's so good to have Waylon. Oh, Waylon knows better. Okay, I tried to get him. Let's just punch him in. I think at this point, Waylon, for me to get you again, for you to not know that your mic is on, I have to wait about like six episodes. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I did get you three or four times. Let's make a note of that, but... I'm very quick to, to jump the gun, you know? Like, I'm, yes. I'm very, like, hyper-focused in, but... Or just hyper 
Well, yeah. Well, first off, I have the biggest news of the week. Did you okay. hear about the, the headline this week? I did not. So, um, this is how it went. It was, um, barbarians find hell at bottom of valley. Ooh. Did you hear this one? I didn't. It was I... straight from the pigskin press. Okay. And, uh, it says, Norm Cody this oh, week discovered the a fiery pit of despair this week in what was supposed to be his own private oasis, the Pioneer Valley. Yeah. Quote, who would think an Impala would be bad in the mud, mm. said Cody, knee-deep in Tragic. mud and mope. No class simulation or guru retreat could have prepared him for this level of humiliation. Yeah. Do you know, what, you know what that published publication that was? I don't know the publication. Devil's the Advocate? Pigskin, the Pigskin Press? It's well, our yeah. it's our fantasy publication. Yes, it's fantasy our, football. Um, you have do you want to explain me. that? Do you want yes, to explain? Yes, you what? have roped me into fantasy football. <laughs> I've never done it before, and I've been doing really well. You yes, he <laughs> I've been doing he was really actually, well. What undefeated until this? I was week. undefeated. I was in first place. Now football is not my jam. I could do fantasy baseball. I think like realistically, football. You know, I didn't let the robot pick for me. I actually chose. He did. I did choose, but I was basically looking at blogs telling me who to pick. Now, I have been decimated by injuries. Saquon Barkley injury, huge. Roethlisberger. It's not as big as Saquon. Well, it's not as big as Saquon, but he'll be back. Yeah, we play in a 2QB league for those that that know, so it it is pretty damaging to have Roethlisberger go. So I got his his backup, which was a smart move. Mason Rudolph, absolutely. Right, because you still have the Steelers. So my, my thinking there was, well... He's still going to have the Steelers behind him, so he's going to be able to rack up some points, right? Yeah. Does that make sense? And I gave, I to your credit, I gave you a pretty interesting trade. And I didn't take it. Yep, he didn't take it. So I, I offered him <laughs> one of the first trades in mad. our fantasy league. Yeah, you see, he really was mad. Now, here's my question. And by the way, in class, to my students, I explained the trade, and they agreed with me that that would have been a bad trade. Bad trade. And... and Oh, really? Now you say it's a bad trade? Well, no, I'm not going to say it was a bad trade in in light of certain evidence that came out after that. Uh. So Saquon Barkley said that instead of being out for eight weeks, it was four to eight weeks diagnosis. Now he's like, I'm ready to go, this, that, the other thing. So it might be two to three weeks. So that's a game changer. If he was out for eight weeks of a 16-week season... That's half of his season. you got to take half his points away. Meanwhile, the person that I have, Austin Eckler, is the top three running back. So we're getting a little into the weeds. But yeah. at the time, it was a gamble on both of us. But now, it's definitely gone your well, way. Well, the way I saw it, honestly, Waylon, the way I described it, and I told you, I don't know football, but I know power. I know politics. And I just felt like... This was the wrong time for me to panic. Yeah, I had a terrible yeah. game. I mean, you just trounced me. It was really bad. I also had someone, the kiddo was on the bye, and there was some other things going on. Yeah. And I'm, I have a lot of, a lot of the, I have a couple of cults that just never, never seem that healthy. Ty Hilton and whatever, Marlon Mack oh, yeah, or something. Yeah. I, I just cannot figure it out. I'm ready to go to Indianapolis and, you know, <laughs> give them a rub down or something and try to get them back on their field. But I just felt like this was a good way for you to eliminate me down the road. If you took Saquon from me, I felt like this was a long game kind of thing. To be fair, at the time, it was thinking about you making the playoffs. So a short-sighted thing for you and a long-sighted thing for me. And again, it was it was definitely a little bit in favor of me if it was an eight-week diagnosis. Yeah. But once it those tables turn, he's the well, clear number just, one. Let's RP. just move on, but yeah. let's just, I'm glad you're acknowledging you. my intelligence. And well, I'm, I think I'm glad that you're acknowledging you. my, my win. <laughs> yes, you won. I mean, really badly. 
Uh, now, I, we're not live, so I can't, like, broadcast that your orange van is sitting in the loading oh, zone yeah. right above the campus center. I can only hope and really send, like, positive vibes to the parking police who you have disparaged on this show. Like I haven't disparaged yeah, you them. You talked about you were complaining they had their own basketball court and stuff like that, and I'm just well. That's I mean that's the they epitome it. of corruption. Let me tell you, they deserve no right. Ooh, ooh careful! You, your van's going to end up at the bottom of the Connecticut River. <laughs> yeah, because of corruption. Well, you don't want to you don't want to mess with powerful people. Okay, and I just want to say that I think that the parking police on this campus do a wonderful job. That I always they, they pay. do that they do yeah that they do just and they bring in a lot of money books. for this school. Open the books. So. Just going to send some psychic energy. I see the ticket going on the orange fan. I can't believe, having discovered where it is, that you've never gotten a ticket because you don't look like a loading van. I mean, it is a van, but you don't look like an official anything. Especially with the license plate that says be Be free. Be free. It's orange. (laughs) It's got all the hipster stickers on it. Now, moving on, as we have to do, although it's always good to jaw with you, tell us a little bit about this article. When I saw this article, I thought, oh, boy, this is right up Whalen's alley. Yeah, so it's called, it's from the Washington Post by Emily Smith. It's, uh, the title is, Is the World an Exciting or Terrifying Place? Your answer can powerfully shape your life and your political views, new research says. So, mm-hmm. story in a nutshell, it's not just the way that we think about ourselves that's going to influence the way in which we operate or kind of our modus operandi. It's really how we envision the world around us and the ever-evolving way that the world operates. So it's, it's also our agency within that world, too. So it's, is the world a good or bad place? And do we have some sort of control over the destiny within that realm? So there's a couple of layers that yep. you have to peel mm. back, and it's not just how we feel about ourselves. Mm. It's actually really embedded in the kind of universality of all the things around us that we reach the conclusions about ourselves. Now, if you think, did they, I can't remember, did they make a correlation if you thought that the world was a dark and scary place? Would it be a correlation to the fact that you don't have agency in a world like that? Or could someone think... And I do want to talk about this in a minute because I had a very involved conversation with my students about apocalyptical thinking. But would it be a correlation or could someone think that the world was a dark and scary place but believe they have agency in it? Is that a possible scenario? I think it is. I think it's the most unlikely scenario, but it's definitely a possibility. It's a possibility because I would argue that, and this is what my students and I were talking about, because we were talking about the second coming of Christ. I teach Middle Eastern history. You know, the Israeli issue is tied up with Christian evangelicals, but also the Shiites have the return of the Mahdi. Most religions have this kind of like apocalyptical vision for their religion. And the Sunni, even Sunnis have it. Not all Sunnis, but like ISIS had it. They have this very dis, very detailed apocalyptical vision on, on w- exactly where it's going to end. Do you know Armageddon? That's actual place. Like, there's a place really? in Israel, yeah, it's like the, the fields of Geddon. So, Armageddon is a reference to it. Like, there's a place you can go and see it. And on these fields, there's supposed to be a giant cataclysmic war. And, you know, really? yeah, and then it's like the gathering up into the wood, the rapture and, and the select and all that go up. And my students were really struggling to, I mean, I showed them a video and, and they were kind of laughing at the people in the video. And I thought, well, you know, I, I don't know, they look pretty happy. Uh, but they also mentioned, and I relate to this, is this kind of like apocalyptical movie where you're the one who survives. 
So that's a I don't I know that's just a movie. That's not an actual thing, but that sells the fantasy of a dark world that you can survive in. So that's oh, an yeah. example where you have a kind of dark vision, but you, at least you have agency in that vision. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that I mean, I'm just going back to like the very some when I was younger, I would be like, okay, there's a, like I would try to kind of understand a plane crash, right? Mm-hmm. But I was like, okay, put myself on the plane crash. I'll be like, oh, but I would survive that. Yes. You know, it's like, oh, I, like the plane would crash. How young but were you? I, when was, you were... I would survive. I'm talking like into my in like mid teens. Yeah. Maybe even late teens. And this idea. Did you have of, actual like scenario how you would survive? Uh, TWA or? flight. Remember when TWA went down? Okay. Like I was young when that happened. But mm-hmm. like. Stayed with co- you. A couple of different things. Like even, I mean, 9-11 and stuff like that. Sure. Oh, I would get out of the building type thing. But then all of a sudden it's like. I think that that's what we're talking about here. It's like the, is there a fate? There's actually a really good line here. So like there's what we're talking about in the, how the research broke down. There were these primal world beliefs. So you can break down your world beliefs, but they're not like black and white. There's a whole bunch of different categories. There are 26 primal world beliefs people can hold. And they include beliefs that, for instance, the world is good, safe, changing, worth exploring, Mm-hmm. And intentional. So, yeah, that plane goes down, but I'm going to survive. Is that because of my my ability and uh, to control that situation, or is that fate? A lot of people would have would come to a different end goal there. But at well, the same time, can I just point out that you would not survive? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no, no. I understand that now. <laughs> you know, like or much of anything. Oh, I get a I, paper cut. I'm toast. Yeah. Me too. So, but it's interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have. <clears throat> oh, gonna... so now he's going to die on me right yeah, now. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> I have a bunch of friends who I think veer into the doom. And I also had a propensity to do that for a while. And I've been in conversation with these are people I love and respect very much. And at one point I had to stop them and say, listen, you guys are talking about how you're going to game like end times you don't you have no idea you like literally you can you know put some extra water in the basement and learn how to ride a motorcycle you have no idea you know learning how to ride a motorcycle might be the worst thing to do because yeah. that motorcycle is going to get taken for you from three blocks down the road like we don't know where it's coming from but i do think especially and i don't know if that's a gendered thing or not honestly but i know a lot of men let's just put it that way myself included that engage in that fantasy of survival and through the darkness. Now, who wouldn't want to believe that they would survive that, actually? I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, but it's that just a ex- test of metal. Of well, just- it's, yeah, it's reassuring, too, right? Yeah. That, because we live in a world in which we're told that things are really bad and are about to get worse all the time. When the reality yeah. doesn't really, like the sun rises, the sun sets, and I don't want to sound avoidant here, but we also deal with students, and I want to talk about that later. You know, what is their perception of the world and how, yeah. how they manage it? All right, so there's these different styles, but there's, like, all these different inputs going into it, right? There's, like, mm-hmm. and I liked what you were, how you were describing it, like, how enticing is the world, you know? And I found myself, I think that was something I scored. I'm fascinated by the world. So here's oh, another yeah. thing. Like, I do often think the world is... Well, I, I answered the questions differently, I have to say. We're going to get to the survey in a little bit. I actually think the world is basically a good and safe place. But Me I too. do, yeah. 
you know, that's my actual experience. But boy, media would not make you think that at all. I mean, the, what we're fed is so frightening. Oh, yeah. Because that's the morbid curiosity in human beings. Well, it's also like, just what keeps the lights on, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, if you want to keep people watching, the best way to do is scare them. And to give every possible scenario in which you would try to avoid. Because I th- also right. think that's, that life in and of its everyday essence is a safe dull but at the same time it's just so wondrous the possibilities it's kind of a weird it's kind of a weird mixture of Mm -hmm. what i'm saying right there i I know that it's kind of contradictory but like if if you were to try to avoid any circumstance of of any danger in your in your entire in the entirety of your day it's going to be pretty boring yeah yeah and life is both boring and terrifying yeah. You know, kind of simultaneously. You know, my own experience with this is that in my late 20s and early 30s, I wrote a book, a novel that was set in a post, kind of post-apocalyptical New York. Um, although, interestingly, it was also a fantasy of what New York could be and what it had lost. You know, that kind of rough edge. It was almost like, uh, well, the film Escape from New York does that pretty well. Like, Escape from New York, it's kind of a classic John Carpenter film presents this really frightening New York, but it's also kind of enticing, right? Because survival's on the table, art's on the table, and these other things. And I spent years, and my band was basically existing on stage as part of this apocalyptical thing. And I think that there's an element that you see in aesthetics, where people, like punk rock to me is an example of this. I feel like punk rock is a lot for people who want to cut to the chase and just... Like I'm, I'm tired of being suspended and whether this whole ship is going to go down. So I'm just going to shave my head, throw a safety pin through my nose, start crashing my head against <laughs> other people. And not, now I'm living this, which is interesting because it's almost an Epicurean approach. The original Epicurean, Epicurus, the philosopher, wasn't, um, he's associated with fine living now, but he was actually advocating like, just drink water, just drink basic food, sleep on the ground, because then you will know that that can never be taken away from you. You will be safe because you have adjusted to the worst circumstance. I almost see like punk rock as people pursuing like the bottom. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that going back to that gritty New York or that idea of even we're talking about survival, I think the most appealing at the core of what we're talking about there is that you have to strip away all of the facades that is society. So all of the little pleasantries that you have to do at the gross, the corner store, um, the um, the white knuckles that you have when somebody passes you in the car and you can only beep at them, you strip down all of that and then you get to the raw essence of what human is. Right. You know, and that I think that we're we're almost like the the hmm. pug that's bred itself to you know die because of uh, nose issues you know hmm. we're breeding ourselves <laughs> into this this existence where really i mean while we're making nuclear weapons that could kill us all in in, a, in like an instance warming, we're also making an incredibly and... safe uh, existence right. for ourselves with longevity to match that in the medical field so it's like you almost want that urge and that rush in there right it's like this this weird you know to be what is what is it to to really be alive in those circumstances yeah i like what you're saying in terms of like breeding ourselves out of existence a little bit say it again just so i'm really clear yeah so so it's like so 
the the thing that I likened it to is like a pug, right? Mm-hmm. The pug has this like it's it's dying because of this nose malform like this this malformity in its nose and it's like has all this breathing problems and everything, but it lives the most cush life you can out of a canine. You know? Yeah. Gone are the days of scrounging in the woods on an elk from the from its wolf bro- brothers. Mm-hmm. That's what we are. So you know, this is I'm interesting. on the couch watching Netflix. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is so. This I think it goes deeper than the actual article or the report. Yeah. Because I think what we've been talking about for the last whatever minutes is this kind of dark vision of humanity. Because I don't necessarily believe a dark vision of humanity comes from just pessimism. Here we're talking about it. It comes from a desire to engage, actually. Yeah. To engage in the real world with real people beyond the pleasantries and the buffers that exist. And so in that sense, uh, I think it's like, and you know, most apocalyptical movies are nomadic, for example, like you're kind of nomadic, you're like wandering around. Well, for most of our history as humans, we were nomads. Uh, Most apocalyptical movies, uh, the number of people that you have to deal with is actually quite small, but you're also useful in those movies. You know, there's a real use to you. There's actually one coming out about, um, oh, it's got... Casey Affleck in it. It's almost like The Road meets Children of Men. Children mm. of Men is such a great film. Uh, that's yeah. such a like deeply disturbing and frightening film. And I think one of the reasons that movie is so disturbing is because it portrays a larger society. Like it's it's not just a group of people moving through the forest, although they they, they do have that. So for me, a dark vision of humanity has not always equated with pessimism so much as a desire to really re-engage myself as an animal. Yeah, I mean, and the, the essentially you could look at what the it's that survivalist instinct you translate that can be translated into a lot of different things without animosity and without I mean, look at capitalism, right? We're talking about competition essentially at the end of the day. It's almost this um, you know, these are really exaggerated Darwinian survival of the fittest type things, but We've made these things really, two things. One, kind of really soft when it comes down to it. Like you might have a little, you might have a better car than your neighbor type thing rather than you're going out and you're feeding your family and everybody's dying in caveman days. So you're making it a little more soft, but we're making it a little bit more mundane. And that's why I think Mm -hmm. that uh, you see the the rise or the yearning for other things. I mean, particularly the rise of um, competitive sports and the prof- in professional sports, really like interested focus in stuff that is executive decisions of right and wrong played out in real time right there. Because right. you don't know if you're winning your life or, or you're not. You don't know if your kids are, are winning or they're losing. Mm. So you need to see things that are very explicit, very in your face. CrossFit is a good example of that. You go and CrossFit with a team, but there's also certain competitions that you do because at the end of the day, you understand who is the top dog in that gym. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And I do think sports... Are one of the reasons we love them so much is because we consider them a meritocracy. It's one of the few places where you have yeah. a meritocracy in society. You know, we're simultaneously living in the safest times and the most privileged times, at least as Americans. But I think what we're missing is a sense of meritocracy and a sense of like actual challenge. And I wonder if wanting a better car than your neighbor is a double whammy because it's spurring this 
Darwinian competitive quality, but it's so vapid and banal that there's an understanding of like, what am I doing? Yeah, like for sure. this is not actually meaningful. And so it's it's if it if I was fighting for my life, if I was fighting for my children's life, well, I wouldn't be confused as to why I was competing. You know, of course, it would be uglier than just buying a better car. But I wonder if there's almost an element of that. But yeah, I think we love sports because the meritocracies. Because if you hit 50 home runs a year, you can cuss out the manager pretty much, and yeah, they're still going to play you sure. because you can hit those home runs. And I do think that in society, we, we wonder where our place is. Yeah. Now, I asked you to take the quiz. Now, I have to say, you know, you're the, I am starting to feel, I am starting to get suspicious of you a little bit because <laughs> you're supposed to be this tech guy, you know, and yet like every tech challenge I've given you, you've kind of failed. You were talking about CRISPR on a former episode. You said, let me break this down. Really simple. Yeah, then I, I asked one question. You fell apart. I come down to your room sometimes in the high school and I'm convinced like you'll be talking to kids. You'll be like, yeah, put the A50 on the 468 and the, the 72. Okay. And, <laughs> then, you, over there. and, the, and, then, and then I slip them a five. I'm like, no, no, no. What they, no, it's not even that. They're like, Okay, and then they go research what they actually have to do. <laughs> oh you're my just God, throwing, I wish they did that. Oh, you're you're throwing numbers at is. them and stuff like that. So I asked you to take a very simple quiz, and I took it. It really wasn't that complicated. I got like five texts, angry texts from you because you couldn't figure out how to take this. First quiz. off, I took it. It was a hundred questions. Well, you took the wrong one. There was one that said, this is the five-minute one. I had this to sign up. I had to give one. my email, yes, my birthday, my up. gender. I had to give them all, basically, my social security number. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. The name of my firstborn. I don't even no, have a kid didn't. yet. No, you didn't. But you did have to sign up, and you had you just didn't look. At the, there was a two-minute one, a five-minute one, and then the like 20-minute one. I want to you show took. you this login page. There's about 12 different quizzes. It's not well designed, but it t- didn't take me very long to get to that. I just want to point this out. Like, I actually think tech- technologically-wise, I'm, like, pretty on pace with you. You know, well, you're smiling, <laughs> but I don't know. Now, you took the quiz. I took the quiz. I think you took the quiz. You took some quiz. I took uh, – it basically not understands my soul at this point. It was mm-hmm. 100 questions. Well, and yes. one of the questions Which is a I just want to point to out. to take because I took a 20-question one. It makes me feel like how do you really know? So, well, this is the thing. Out of the 100 questions, I hit about 76. It says on it, please mark this answer. Yes. Slightly disagree. And yes. it's to obviously weed out I got people, that too. but at 76, that's when they're going to introduce that question. So yeah. I need to, I was like actually doing it. Yeah, you had to stand point. The entire point. time. I couldn't just like. Point. Now, I just want to tell our click. listeners, it's not like I, I, I wouldn't actually recommend that you went out and sign up on this thing and no. take the test. It's on the article page, but I, I don't think you need to. As host of this show, I thought we really should. And so I'm so glad that your resilience really popped up here and that you managed to do it. You know, so I wasn't what, happy about it, but uh, what are you going to do? You know, it's price of stardom. But um, I'd be, I just on a really brief side note, you know, when it comes to psychology and the word research or science, like I'm very skeptical. Like, I feel like this is like, you know, so often I hear, well, studies show it's like, wait, what mm. kind of st- uh, study of like physics? It. Yeah. Study of chemistry. I mean, that shows something. But study of psychology. Come on. And on a side note, I don't know if you saw, there was a report this week said, oh, red meat's actually good for you. And so I, yeah, they're going to say That's... smoking's good for you soon. I mean, I swear to God, they always reverse. And then five years later, they're like, sorry, you really actually shouldn't be eating red meat, in fact. Which is funny because I think that that's a, a product of just the human psych- psychological 
Reversal. You always need to change something. Reversal. You always need to do the uh, oh, be, everybody was doing this, so we got to do this. Well, you can't make a career unless there's some reversal. Exactly. Right? I mean, you I need am, to be a pioneer, and it's just reverse pioneerism. Well, I'm a history teacher. His, historical revisionism is unreal, right? Yeah. And it kind of has to be because if you're a professor, then you want to be able to make sure that you have some kind of ground that you can stake, right? I mean, that makes sense. Now, before we get to the results. I just put on some scary music here. I thought this would be a good piece for the show. This is uh, from the Duran Duran All Covers album. I don't know if you know that. I think you're too young to have been ironic about Duran Duran, which is actually a great band. Duran Duran is like... Hungry Like the Wolves? Like the Wolf, singular. (laughs) Yes, Uh, but Save a Prayer, that's my favorite (laughs) song. I wish this was video because... Norm just died inside a little bit when yeah. I said wolves. Well, you know, you are young, so. But I mean, they're the inheritor from Roxy Music, and Roxy Music's amazing. We're going to do, for suspense sake, a little bit of music, then we're going to come back and look at our results, if I can find mine. Because, yes, the website there is not great. We'll be back in a minute. day in July And all along Santa Monica Boulevard The cars were stood still In a gleaming metal tube That stretched all the way from Highland Back to La Brea And shimmered the Los Angeles sunshine A young man was a young man was sitting at the wheel on his way to make a pickup on his way to make a pickup turned off the aircon 